You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning, everybody. My name's Amy Wellborn. I work in the office here at Mill Creek to support the elders, pastors, and staff. But really, I'm here to support every single person in this room for anything that you may need really, ever as it pertains to the church and life beyond. Um, One of the coolest things about Sunday is that we all gather here with a common need. It's to hear the reading and teaching from the Lord's word. This morning, we're blessed with the opportunity to hear from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 19. You can find that on page 942 of the Chairback Bibles. They look like these. If you don't have a Bible of your own, we encourage you to take one of these with you so that you can spend more time in the word. If you don't already have your Bibles open, please open them now. And hear the living word of the Lord. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers. Let there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were, who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Please, this is the word of the Lord, and it is true. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we've all entered this space today with with believing hearts and spirits prepared for you to wash over us, Lord. Lord, I pray for this sermon and for this time we have here together. I pray for Jeremy, that he would be able to take all the hard work he's done on this passage and bring it to us and continue to spread that truth that is your word and just bring more of that to us um, through his message today, Lord. Lord, please care for each of us and everything we've walked into this room with today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks, Amy. Time travel with me, if you don't mind, back to 
Rome, 30 AD. If we went there, we would find that ancient city bustling like many of our big cities. And part of what was happening in one area of that city might have been similar to Little Italy or Chinatown. I don't know if you've been to a big city that has a little ethnic enclave, but you can go in there and all of a sudden it's like, man, this is almost like a different country. People speaking in the mother tongue. I actually understand here in Kansas City we have something like this with a little Argentinian district where lots of folks from that little neighborhood are all friends and family. And, And if we could time travel back to Rome around 30 AD, we would find ourselves, we could find ourselves in a little place you might call Little Israel, Jewish town. And in that place, you would have all of these Israelites, friends, family, committed deeply to the original religion from Jerusalem in which they believed Moses The author of the first five books of the Bible was like God's superior messenger. If we were there and time traveled back to that little area, what we'd find is a community deeply committed to Sabbath and sacrifices and worship at the temple and trying to obey all of God's law the best they could. And they would be a tight-knit community, politically protected there in Rome from Legally finding protection. And if we were there, we might be part of that community if we followed along. And what we would find if we were there, that there in 30-ish AD, that little Jewish community in little, in little uh, something like little Italy, uh, little Israel, there were some who had gone to Jerusalem to celebrate this Feast of Pentecost, they call it. And they had come back. And they had said the most miraculous news. They had said, you know this Old Testament Messiah that that Moses talked about? This Old Testament Messiah, their title for this person was the Christ. The one we've been waiting for. There were some who in Acts 2 had gone to the Feast of Pentecost, had come back to Rome, and they said, this Christ we've been waiting for, he's here. He's here. They put him on a cross. Then they put his dead body in a tomb, and get this, he's alive. Some would have been there listening to the Christ's disciples talk about how Jesus of Nazareth was the fulfillment of the Old Testament Christ, and they would have heard this message, and some of them, if we were there and we time-traveled, some of them would have believed that Jesus really was the Christ. And those would have been exciting days. In fact, it's hard to understate how incredible it would have been and how significant in little Israel it would have been for a few folks to stand up and say, I believe Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. For in so doing, they would be having to leave their ethnic community. Now, they might have still lived in the neighborhood. They still might have gotten their dry cleaning done by the same person doing their dry cleaning and eat at the same restaurants. But they are no longer part of that deep religious system because Jesus of Nazareth and his disciples called them to not just 
stay in Judaism, but to realize that that's a shadow that points forward to the substance who is Jesus. And so they no longer needed the temple. They no longer needed the regular sacrifices. They had in Jesus the fulfillment of it all. And there in 30 AD, a small little church was born in Rome, made up of Christians. Now, if we time traveled another 30 years, what we'd find in 60 AD is some of those people had lost their hair like I have. <laughs> some of them were more wrinkled. And many of them were tired. Because, because they had believed that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ, and they had believed he is coming back. But here they were, 30 years in, and the suffering and the persecution had only gotten more difficult. We can read between the lines to find out some of them had been put in jail for trusting in Jesus. Some of them had lost their property because of believing in Jesus. My guess is their restaurants weren't frequented as often as others who were still Jews because they're still in this ethnic community, but they are now separated because of their religious beliefs. So they're getting suffering and persecution from the Romans. They're also getting it from their countrymen, and they're tired. They're tired. Turns out there is a pastor, perhaps a rabbi. I like to think of him as a preacher who knows that this church is actually in a very difficult spot. They find themselves in a crossroads because the church is getting ready to disintegrate. As some of those in this church in 60 AD find themselves thinking, I just want to go back to Judaism. And you know what? Maybe Judaism and Christianity is actually kind of the same thing. I mean, think about it. They both believe in God. We all agree on Moses. And so, you know what? Maybe they're kind of different paths up the same mountain, and, and both of them are good enough. And, and, and the person, the, the preacher, who I'm calling the preacher, when he realizes that this church is getting ready to disintegrate, he realizes that the Old Testament is clear. If you leave Christ, if you leave Christ to return to Judaism, as tempting as it is, as, as cultural accommodating as it might feel, you actually will not make it to the future heavenly rest that God has promised. And he's worried that this church won't make it to the end. And if we were to time travel, we'd find out that this preacher, he actually wrote what he calls a little exhortation. I like to think of it as a sermon. And it's the book of Hebrews. And we find ourselves today in Hebrews chapter 3, as we do here in our church, just walking through books of the Bible. We find in this sermon to the Hebrews, what we're calling, an encouragement not to leave Christ for a Christless religion because he wants his people to make it to the end. Today then, a challenging and relevant message for us, even though there may be a few in here who think, but wait, I don't live back in ancient Rome. I'm not part of little Israel. I'm not actually even tempted to return to Judaism or follow Moses. So how in the world is this relevant to me today, Pastor? Here's what we have in common with those two there in 60 AD in Rome. We too are facing cultural pressures to leave Christianity. We today are facing cultural pressures to leave a Christ-centered community and compromise so that we can get pats on the back from our culture. 
My guess is few of you are employed by a, uh, by a job in which they say, we are all about Christ-centered religion. Nobody has a job like that unless you work at the staff team of this church, it seems like. Instead, you have occupations in which folks are calling you to compromise your views of Christ. And instead of encouraging you towards Jesus, they're encouraging you to worship anything else. We all are being encouraged to worship ourselves or worship sex. Feel free to worship money. Nobody in our culture has a problem if you worship money or if you worship materialism. I mean, I mean, you go buy a bunch of stuff this week, and what do your friends and neighbors and coworkers say? Oh, cool, you bought more stuff. But man, you try to center your life around Jesus Christ, and you get serious about like, I am with Jesus, and I'm sticking with what the Jesus of the Bible says, you have all sorts of cultural pressure against you. You will be swimming upstream. And while our culture suggests that we ought to leave Christ for some gentle, neutered version of God, the Bible calls us to persevere to the end. And as we look around and we notice that some of our friends who used to worship Christ seem to have walked away from Him, and as we notice in our hearts lack of faith in ways and doubt, we wonder, are we going to make it to the end? Is that promised future rest, the new heavens and the new earth that Jesus of Nazareth promised all true believers, are we going to make it there? This morning, this pastor who wrote this little sermon has a word for us, a word for us, and he's going to answer in two ways how to make it to the end. And if you're here this morning and you're wondering, am I going to make it to the end? I hope that this Hebrews 3 encourages you. We're going to find two answers to the question, are we going to make it to the end? If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open to Hebrews 3 so I can show you from God's Word how this passage answers the question, are you going to make it to the end? There's two answers, one's positive, one's negative. Let's start with the positive answer, are we going to make it to the end? If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. You will make it to the end if you understand it's Jesus, not Moses. We're going to make it to the end if we understand it's Jesus, not Moses. Let me walk you through these verses to show you how we draw this conclusion. Look there at verse 1. pastor calls us to consider Jesus. That's his point. Consider Jesus. And notice who Jesus is. He's the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Now, if you've ever nerded out in Hebrews, you know that our pastor is going to explore this theme of Jesus being our high priest. And truly, Jesus is our high priest. In fact, one of our elders, Justin Hamilton, is going to preach the sermon on Jesus being our high priest. It's going to happen in 414, and I'm really excited for us to be able to go down that line of thinking and explore how Jesus is our high priest. For now, he's just whetting our appetite. But he's not only our high priest, he's also the apostle. You see that in the text? Jesus the Apostle? Fun fact, this is the only place in the entire New Testament where Jesus is called an Apostle. Where he's called the Apostle. wonder what our author is doing there by calling him the Apostle. Hmm. We see the title. An Apostle is a sent one from God. 
Well, we are to consider Jesus, the high priest, the apostle, for he is the one we confess. He's the one of our confession. See that there? And Jesus was faithful like Moses, but in fact, verse 3, Jesus has been counted more worthy of glory than Moses, which would be shots fired at those in that little church who are thinking about leaving the Christian church to return to Moses. What, what our author is saying is, look, Moses is in the house, but Jesus is the builder of the house. See, see, understand in this first big idea, our preacher is talking about the builder versus the house itself. Moses uh, and anybody who's a true Christian, we would be in the house, and he's saying, Jesus built that house. He moves to say, Moses is a servant in the house. Jesus is the son of the house. He's the son of God. He is the builder. And there is then a massive difference between Moses and Jesus. Now let, let the record show. Our author is not disparaging Moses. He really does believe Numbers 12, 7. Uh, he, Moses, is faithful in all my house. Our preacher isn't saying Moses isn't worth the honor that he is Given. In fact, our author, notice in chapter 3, verse 2 here, he's quoting Numbers 12, 7. What our author is doing, what this preacher then is doing is saying that while Moses is in the house, Jesus built the house. While Moses is a servant who testified to things spoken later, verse 5, Christ is more than a servant. Christ is a son over the house. Follows then, verse 6, middle of verse 6. Since we are God's house, that is, all Christians are God's house, we must hold fast to Christ, not Moses. Because Christ is the son. Moses is the servant. Look, if you're here and you have servants, awesome. If you're here and you actually work as a servant, that's awesome. But I think we can all appreciate there is a massive difference between a person who is employed as a servant in the house as contrasted with a person who is a son over the house. And he wants to make sure, our author, that we don't get those things confused. Moses is like the gardener of the royal family. And Jesus, he is the son of God. Don't leave for the gardener when you've got the son. Don't miss then how significant this would have been for that original church as all of these folks, the fear of a disintegrating church is, is on the mind of our preacher and some are thinking, maybe I'm just going to go back to Moses here. Uh, in fact, Guthrie explains in his commentary, get this quote, Moses held a special place in the hearts of the Jews of the first century. He, he was considered to be the greatest person in history in certain strands of Jewish tradition. And in some, the Messiah was expected to be a new Moses. That's how they thought about Moses. That's how highly they put Moses. Other evidence suggests Moses held an even higher status than the angels because of his special intimacy with God. I mean, just read the book of Exodus. I, I forgot again until I read through it recently. We're going to be getting into it later this year. Moses would go meet with God face to face. He had to come out and put a veil on. 
I mean, I've had some sweet, quiet times with the Lord. I never had to put a veil on. Have you? Special intimacy with God. Therefore, the author of Hebrews moves naturally from his discussion of the angels, his Old Testament messengers, to the preeminent messenger of the Old Covenant, Moses himself. You know, one of our goals when we preach through books of the Bible is that we want you to understand how the Bible is actually operating. And if you've been here, I hope you see the argument from this preacher is Jesus is superior to the angels. Yeah, they may have brought the message from God to Moses, but Jesus is superior to them. And now our author is saying, and Jesus is superior to Moses. And he's going to keep working through this throughout our letter, showing us how Jesus is the substance, not the shadow. Verse 6, then, is the summary. Since Christ is the faithful builder and the Son, hold fast to Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth is our confidence and our boasting. He's who our hope should be in. Which is the answer, then, to the question in this first section. Are we going to make it to the end? You will if you understand it is Jesus, not Moses. This is the positive example. The negative one is next, but for now, would you write this down? It's the application. Hold fast to Jesus. Hold fast to Jesus. Because if you're going to make it to the end, it's Jesus, not Moses. And maybe you're sitting there like, at least this is what I would be doing. I'd be going, look, look. Look, Pastor, I'm real glad you're all nerded out on Hebrews 3, but just turns out this morning I wasn't worried about going back to Moses. I'm not loyal to Moses. I actually prefer Jesus, thank you very much. <laughs> but in fact, I think there are ways not so different than that little Jewish community back in little Israel. There are ways that we actually, our hearts are magnetized and tractor beams to go to Moses. And, and, and let me try to convince you. One way that we have a tendency to go to Moses is by thinking that our status before God is based on whether we followed the rules this week or not. And that's a way that you're looking to Moses, not Jesus. See, some of you, you walk in, and your shoulders are back, and your head's high. And if we asked you the truth, why, man, why are you walking in here so confident with all that swagger? You say, man, because I followed the rules this week. And others of you, you're in the exact opposite condition. You, you're like crawling in here. You're barely able to make it in. And if we asked you what the issue is, your, your shoulders are slumped because you said, man, I, just, I, I broke every rule this week. And in both cases, if your confidence is based on whether you followed the rules or you failed at the rules, you're looking to Moses, not Jesus. You are saved today, not dependent on whether you followed the rules or not, or to what degree or the, the number of rules you, you properly followed. You are saved only because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's what being Christian is. So glad you're tracking with me. That's one way that we look to Moses. A second way we can look to Moses, and this is often common in kids and teenagers, so kids, teenagers, lean in here, though it's, it's a word for all of us. Some of us can, can, we look to Moses in this way if we think that the, the prayer we pray is what actually saves us. Here's what I mean. There's this thing called the sinner's prayer that 
folks who've been around Christianity a lot, we get our own language, we have our own Christianese terminology, and one of those things is the sinner's prayer. That's, that's that thing that we do where we tell everybody to close your eyes and, and don't you dare peek. Don't you dare peek, close your eyes, and, and with every head bowed and every eye closed, if, if you believe that you need to be saved, raise your hand and then repeat this prayer after me. And, and this thing kind of happens, and, and I'm actually not down on that. It happens at camps and, and VBSs, and we, we've even done it here. We'll probably do it again. But, but, but as it goes, we, we tell people here, you know, repeat after me, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin, and... and and I trust you as my Savior and Lord. And then the preacher explains what those two terms mean because they're important. And, and, and then repeat after me, uh, you know, I trust in your righteousness, not my righteousness. And, and, and we walk through that sinner's prayer and, and then we tell a person, okay, if you, if you prayed that, you're, you're a Christian. And what can happen then for teenagers or kids is, is they can go home and they go, man, I, I don't know if I prayed it the right way. And so, if, if, and so that, that leads some people to Pray that prayer over and over again. And so if, if like you're here and you find yourself going, yeah, every night before I go to bed, I sort of try to pray that prayer because I just don't know that it took. I don't know if I'm actually a Christian. You're actually looking to Moses, not Jesus, so to speak. And good news, like if you're worried, if you're here and you're thinking that, that God is some grammar teacher up in heaven that makes sure you, you, you added enough prepositions to your sinner's prayer, otherwise you're not getting in I'm sorry, you had three conjunctions and not enough interjections. You're out. Good news, that ain't the way it works. Your confidence isn't on whether you prayed the prayer the right way. Your confidence is in Jesus. We look to Moses and we look to the rules to save us. We look to Moses if we're thinking it's the right prayer. Some of us, we look to Moses in our feelings. Here's what this looks like. You go on a missions trip. You go to some weekend conference. You just had a time in God's word, and all of a sudden you have all these feelings, and your, your feelings are important. You, you've got a lot of feelings. I probably have more feelings than I was you know, appropriately supposed to get from the Lord. I have all the feelings going on too. We, we can have all these feelings, and we can have this tendency to think that if I just feel God, why then that makes me a Christian. But of course, the challenge is the day we wake up, and we've been in the grind, and we've been pushing too long, or for whatever reason, we just don't feel it anymore. And then it can be very shocking to some people when they, when they wake up and realize, I actually don't feel this Jesus thing. I just don't feel it. And, and they can have a tendency to think, well, I guess maybe I'm not a Christian because I don't feel it. But again, that, that's just like going to Moses because you're not saved because of your feelings. You're saved because of what Jesus Christ did. You're not saved because you follow rules. You're not saved because you pray the prayer the right way. You're not saved because of feelings. Here's my last example to try to convince you that we're just like them. We can look to Moses instead of Jesus. Um, there are some of you that you barely made it here today. In fact, you're surprised yourself you made it here today because your faith is hanging on by a thread. Jesus says if, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move a mountain and you think to yourself, my faith is half a mustard seed. Does that get me anything? <laughs> and some people who, who are holding on to Christ by like a thread or like hanging on by a fingernail, they can have a tendency to think to themselves, well, maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe I'm not going to make it because my faith is so small. Good news for you. It's not the amount of faith that saves you. 
It is the object of your faith that saves you. You might think to yourself, as you hold on to Christ, I don't know if it's going to hold. I just don't know. I don't barely have any faith. But if you're holding on to Christ, you're going to be just fine. That acre's big enough for any of you. So, so fear not if your faith is small. Anchor in the object of your faith. Fear not if your feelings have left you empty. Know that you're not saved by the intensity of your feelings, nor in the way that you pray, pray as well as whether or not you followed all the rules you thought you were to follow. In these ways, you are looking to Moses, not Jesus, and our author wants us to hold fast to Jesus. Hold fast to Jesus. If you are going to make it to the end, it will only be because you held fast to Jesus. Spirit, forgive us of all the ways that we are wrongly looking to Moses. Those four might fit you. There may be other ways that you're wrongly looking to Moses. But to make it to the end, we got to hold on to Jesus. That's the first way our author is arguing in Hebrews 3. Here's the second and final way he's arguing. Are we going to make it to the end? Our preacher writes at the second half of chapter 3, we will if we avoid the mistakes of the wilderness generation. Look with me there at verse 7 as our preacher is setting up a quote. He's cross-referencing Psalm 95. If you're opening your Bible and you're like, man, why is, why, why is the formatting different here? It's because this is a direct quote of Psalm 95. And notice the introduction to Psalm 95. The preacher says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, let's not skip past this introductory phrase too quickly because our preacher is confident that Psalm 95 is inspired by the Holy Spirit. I'm confident our preacher thinks the entire Old Testament is inspired by the Holy Spirit. I also find it in Important for us to notice that our preacher is not trying to take the Old Testament out of the Bible. He's not encouraging us to unhitch the Old Testament from the Bible. He's quoting from the Old Testament. In fact, Peterson in his Hebrews commentary says it better than I can. The Spirit continues to speak to subsequent generations of Christians through this scripture. Warning them to make each day a fresh today in which to hear the Spirit's voice and live. See, if we're going to trust Psalm 95 and trust God's word, we got to hear his voice. And his voice is in his word. And that's why we preach his word here. Man, I hope you get this. If somebody is preaching faithfully the scripture... You are hearing the voice of God. If, if, if it's faithful to this word, it is God's word to you. Not new revelation, his revelation. So the, the encouragement then is, hear his voice. God is speaking. And we must not harden our hearts like those in the rebellion. This psalm then telling the story of those Israelites who had been enslaved in Egypt... Then, of course, Moses comes, and he leads them out of slavery after the plagues, leads them through the Red Sea, takes them to Mount Sinai, gets the law of God, but they never make it to the promised land. 
in case you forgot to brush up on your Old Testament history over breakfast this morning, they didn't get there. They ended up wandering in the wilderness till that generation passed away. Verse 11, those Israelites never entered God's rest. Here's the warning then. Our pastor is telling this little church there in little Israel inside of Rome, look, you're a church, but you must stick with Christ or else you won't make it to your eternal promised land. Verse 12, our author again explaining so many words, hold fast to Jesus. And and here's one way that you do that. Guard your heart from unbelief. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write that down. Guard your heart from unbelief. That's what the preacher is saying in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Hold fast to Jesus by guarding your heart. For anybody here who's thinking, man, I'm really glad he said that. I'm going to make sure I tell my friend that truth. Or anybody elbowing your spouse, hey, you should listen right now. Notice he's talking to any of you. The pastor is warning all within earshot. So, how do we hold fast to Jesus? First, we guard our heart. Secondly, verse 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. While those Christians were to guard their own hearts, they also hold fast to Christ by exhorting one another. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write that down, by exhorting one another. So so if you're here and you're thinking, man, how do I tangibly hold on to Christ? You've got to guard your heart, and you've got to guard one another's heart. Now that first one, you know, you need to guard your heart. That's kind of Christianese language that... If you've grown up around the church, you're familiar with, yeah, i got to guard my heart, and I feel good about that. This second one, not so popular in our culture, exhort one another. There's kind of an unwritten rule in the church like, I won't worry about your business if you don't worry about my business. you know, you got enough of your issues, don't, don't, don't be talking about my issues. But that's not the biblical model, is it? And, and we need to... If you're here and you're a Christian and you think, yeah, I'm not exhorting anybody. I mean, if you're a member of this church, that's some of what you're committing to, that we would exhort one another. Now, of course, let's take proper precautions. Any of you who are parents or, 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 or in management or, or are a coach, you know there's a big difference between crushing condescension, labeled as, I was just exhorting them, versus... Loving encouragement, encouraging folks not to walk away from Christ. There's a big difference there. And we're not trying to be Jesus gangsters or Holy Spirit hitmen. And I mean, if you're here and you're like, finally, it tells me to actually go do some confrontation. I have been waiting for the green light to go get somebody. You need to check yourself before you wreck yourself, yeah? Exhortation, of course is not bringing the hammer. This isn't, this isn't us as elders trying to think, okay, now we're really going to let you have it. Rather, it's, it would be in the gentleness and kindness of Christ, being willing to speak the truth in love, Hebrews 4.15, saying what needs to be said. And, and, and notice 
Notice the progression here. Guard your heart from unbelief and then exhort one another. It reminds me of, of those oxygen masks in the airplane. Let's, let's guard our hearts first. Let's put our mask on first. And then let's help others to guard themselves from unbelief. Again, if you're here and you just love exhorting other people, beware. If you're here, though, and you like struggle with pride and you're like, I hate when people exhort me, well, be willing to listen. Guard your heart, exhort others to avoid unbelief. Verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Again, the call to hold fast to Christ. Hold fast to Christ. Now, I understand that some have been noticing as we read through this book of Hebrews, and especially there in verse 14, that there seems to be this thing happening that perhaps shows us that a person could be in the church but then lose their salvation. And, and that's a very big question in Christianity. Can, can a true Christian ever lose their salvation? Hebrews 6 is coming. That's a primary chapter in the whole Bible that's going to answer that question. So we'll do a deep, deeper dive when we get there. For now, our author is emphasizing hold fast to Christ. In verses 15 to 19 then, the concluding illustration from our preacher as he asks all of these questions which are answered in the rebellion known from the Israelite history. For, for who heard and rebelled? Who was it that didn't make it to the promised land? It's that wilderness generation we've been talking about. They were deceived by sin and they rebelled. In fact, those of you who, who know well the book of Numbers, if you've read through that book ever before in your Bible reading plan, it's in Numbers 13 and this place called Kadesh. Would you say Kadesh on the count of three? One, two, three. Kadesh. Kadesh is this important place where 12 spies are sent into the promised land and, and they come back. And if you know the story, 10 spies came back and said, that place is incredible, but they're too tough for us. We'll never be able to beat them. And only two spies came back and said, yeah, that's an amazing place and we can take them. Fun fact, you want to know the two people who made it into the promised land who were there at Kadesh? Those two who believed the promises of God. Everybody else didn't make it. In fact, Numbers 13, not only did all the community disbelieve God, Numbers 20, Moses is there still at Kadesh, and he doesn't believe the word of God either. And maybe you know this, Moses never made it to the promised land. He only got to see it from a distance. The warning then that our pastor is saying here at the end, for the Hebrews, Psalm 95 is clear that wilderness generation did not enter his rest, so don't be like them. And for the Hebrews then, they might have thought, well, here we are in Rome and we're in this Christian church, but that didn't mean they were going to make it to the promised land of rest. They had to endure. They had to persevere. For us then, the question, are we going to make it to the end? Are we going to make it to the end? We, we will if we remember it's Jesus, not Moses. And we will if we avoid the mistakes of the wilderness generation. That's how we make it to the end. Guard your heart. Exhort others to be on guard against unbelief. That's how we make it to the end. Because just like it was hard for them, it's hard for us, right? Everyone's screaming at us. Just give up on the Jesus stuff, man. Just, just, 
Don't be such a Jesus freak. Just turn that down a little bit. And though Christless religion is tempting, it's ultimately empty. Christless religion has no hope and it has no promised land eternal rest to offer you. Because Christ really is superior. Here then, church, as we've walked through the text, I want you to understand there is a tight relationship that our preacher is explaining between your focus on Christ and your faithfulness to Christ. No matter how you cut it, those two things are linked. Those who focus on Jesus are very, more likely than not, going to be more faithful to Jesus. Those two ideas are in connection. There's a relationship. And each of us then, each of us in here, have a personal decision to make. We are responsible. Are we going to take the initiative to hold fast to Christ by guarding our hearts from unbelief and exhorting one another to abandon unbelief and hold on to Christ? Or or are we going to be spiritually lazy? Whatever happens, happens. For unbelief and hard-heartedness are enemies to our goal. And to persevere, we need one another, exhorting each other. We need spirit to guard us from unbelief. We need the true high priest who has gone through and made a perfect sacrifice for us so that we can confidently enter the Holy of Holies. And we need the true apostle. Christ, remember, Jesus the True apostle. Three one again. This is the only place in all the Bible that that title is used. The true apostle. Here's why I think Arthur decided to use it. Understand what an apostle is. An apostle is sent from God with a message. Of course, we believe that the disciples were apostles. Jesus sent them. In a lot of ways, we might consider Moses to be a sent messenger of God, but Jesus is the true apostle, the superior apostle. Jesus and his message superior to the greatest Old Testament messenger, Moses. Jesus, not the latest word from God, Jesus is the last word from God. He is the great messenger who has come with a message of salvation to everyone who is currently enslaved to sin. Jesus saying, I am going to provide you a true and better exodus, not merely out of physical slavery, but out of spiritual slavery. And I want to take you to the promised land of eternal milk and honey, and if you will go with the true apostle, you can make it to your eternal rest. Jesus is the true and better Moses. He is the true and better word from God. He is the true and better Exodus, offering all of God's people salvation. And how will you make it to the end? If you hold fast to him, not hold fast to the rules, not hold fast to praying a prayer the right way. Not hold fast to your feelings. Not even hold fast to the amount of faith you have. But you anchor in Jesus and you will make it to the end. Deuteronomy 18, 13, Moses knew Jesus was coming. He didn't know his name. Same way. But look what Moses wrote 
The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Church, listen to the apostle. He will save you. And he will get us home. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Take your word and push it into the heart of your people. Thanks for Hebrews 3. Thanks for your word. For those here who don't believe in you, Spirit, you can save. Do it. God, for those who are here hanging on by a thread, I pray that you would give them grace and motivation to hold on to you. Lord, would you keep us, persevere us to the very end. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.